Hi, you're listening to the preaching and teaching ministry of Second Baptist Church. These resources are not designed to take the place of a local church, but we hope they will encourage you on your journey with Christ. For more information about how you can connect with the Second Family, visit mysecond.family. This sermon was delivered live at our West Conway campus. Thanks for listening. How many of you remember seeing, they're, they're, they're kind of rare now, um, but seeing street preachers? I'm talking like the hats, the spenders, the signs. Like how many of you, like we, they used to be everywhere. Y'all remember these people? Um, let, me, let me tell you about a time when I was uh, in college, I did skateboard ministry in East Texas. And there was a man there um, who was a street preacher, right? And he was literally the classic type of street preacher. Matter of fact, I have a picture of him. He was famous. This is him right here. Um, he was famous all over East Texas for being a street preacher. What he would do is he would stand on the corner where the business intersections were. And as soon as the light hit red, he would start preaching. I'm talking fire, brimstone, um, judgments coming, hells for you, right? All kinds of like old school street preacher type of messages. And one time, one of my skaters, his name was Eli, he wasn't a Christian, right? He didn't believe in Jesus, didn't grow up in a Christian home. And I, I've been sharing the gospel with him for probably two years at that point. He was coming, literally skating to the skate park where we're about to do Bible study. And he ran into this guy. And, and, and so he stopped and he said, hey, I just want to hear what you're preaching. And he said, God's going to rain fire down like he did in Sodom on you if you don't turn from your sins. And he says, all right, what do I do? He said, judgment days come and get ready. And he says, okay, what do I do? He said, are you ready? And, my, and Eli's like, no, I don't know. Like, well, I don't want to be burned. Like, what, what do I do? And for 10 minutes, Eli told me, he just kept repeating himself. Get ready. Judgment day is coming. Are you ready? Are you ready? And he came and he came back to the skate park and he was crying. I had to fix all of that, right? It was pretty aggressive. But a few years later, I noticed that his sign had changed from, you know, hails for you and you're, you're going to turn or burn type of signs to Jesus loves you. And I want to read an interview um, that someone did on him. And he says this in his interview. He said, before I knew Jesus, I was just an old drunk that my wife used to drag to church. One day I heard the gospel and said yes to Jesus. I didn't know much, so I just started preaching what I knew. Judgment day was coming. However, after talking to the younger kids, I realized they also needed to hear how much Jesus loved them. I still tell them that judgment day is coming, but now I tell them Jesus loves you and, and he's giving you time to say yes. That is my message. And so when we hear sermons or we see signs about Judgment Day, that creates all kinds of different feelings inside of us. Some people get really excited. I remember some people would cheer this guy on every single day that he was out there preaching. Others would drive by and make fun of him, and some would just flat out ignore him and keep driving. But here is the deal. Judgment Day is real. Right? The Bible tells us that one day there will be judgment. Right? Matter of fact, Hebrews 9.27 says, there has been appointed for a man to die once. After that comes what? Judgment. Acts 17.31 says, He has set a day to judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof to everyone of this by raising Jesus from the dead. And, and so when it comes to judgment day, we have to acknowledge the Bible says this is a real thing. So we can't laugh it off. We can't ignore it. We have to take it serious. And that God is right now giving us time to respond. Matter of fact, in Genesis 19, that's where we'll be today. 
We see this kind of play out where we're looking at um, Abraham, we're looking at Lot, we're looking at Sodom and Gomorrah. God's giving um, warning that judgment day is coming and we see how people respond differently to that type of message. And so my hope today um, is that we see this, we hear their responses and we learn something from these people in this story. Um, I'm gonna be real honest with you. This one has been really hard for me to, to study and, and work through. Um, there's a lot in this, and so let's pray. You pray for me, I'll pray for you, and then we'll jump into Genesis chapter 19. God, we love you. I'm just thankful for everyone who is in this room, everyone who's watching um, online. Um, God, I pray that you just meet us here. Help us to read your word with not our opinions, not um, with different thoughts, but that we would just read it for what it is and that you would give us wisdom to understand it. Lord, if you don't help us, we're not going to get it. So help us to understand that you are a God of wrath and judgment, but also at the same time, a God of mercy and you are calling us to come to you. So help us do that today, Lord. Help us to respond accordingly, Lord. We love you. In your name we pray, everybody said. Amen. Genesis 19, let me give you some, some context. Genesis 18 and 19, they go together. In 18, um, Abraham is on this mountainside where he is visited by three men, and who, um, who they are, we find out later, it's God and two angels. And, and they come, and, and Abraham makes them a feast. He's real hospitable to them. And, and, and then finally, God says something that I think annoys all of us. He says this to the angels in front of Abraham, hey, should we tell him what we're about to do or should I keep it hidden from him, right? Y'all have that friend who's like, I need to tell you something, but I can't, right? Anybody ever have that friend? They are the most annoying people in the whole world, right? Like you've already gone too far. You might as well just tell me what you're hiding, right? Like don't do that. So God, should we tell Abraham what we're about to do? And he does. And he tells Abraham, hey, the outcry of Sodom, the, the sin of Sodom, is so evil, so loud, so extreme that I'm literally about to wipe it out. I'm about to bring judgment to Sodom. And, and so he sends two angels down to have like eyes on the ground to go and see. And as that's happening, Abraham prays. He remembers like, dude, my nephew Lot is down there. And so he starts praying and he's talking to God back and forth and, and he tells him, God, surely, if, what, what about the righteous people? If there's 50 righteous people in Sodom, surely you're not gonna wipe them out just because of everybody else's sin. And God says, okay, if there's 50 righteous people, I won't wipe it out. And Abraham keeps going back and forth and the number gets smaller and smaller. Finally, Abraham says, God, if there's just 10 people down there that are righteous, you're not gonna destroy them. And, and God says, okay, if there's 10, if we find 10 righteous people in Sodom, we won't destroy it. And then God ends the conversation. Like, I'm done, done talking about this, 10. So these angels go down and, and what happens next, I'm gonna be real honest, um, it's, it's hard to comprehend at times when we read the Bible but it's a real thing. The angels go down to Sodom. Now Sodom is this um, very prosperous, booming type of city. There's all kinds of businesses happening. And, and if you're a prominent type of person, someone with influence or, or like on the city council, you, you're just someone with power, you would be at the city gate. That's where all the business happened. That's where politics would happen. And so if you are someone important, you would be at the city gates every single day. And that's exactly where they find Lot. The angels come in, Lot is there. Now remember who Lot is. Lot is Abraham's nephew. A few chapters before this, Abraham and Lot, they decide, hey, it's better for us to separate. So he tells his nephew Lot, hey Lot, you pick which way you wanna go. You, you go there, I'll go the other way. Lot looks around and he sees Sodom. He sees that whole area. There's, there's water, there's plenty of grass for all of his, um, his, his herds. And so he says, hey, I'm going to Sodom. 
And so what we see now is eventually he has gotten to the point where he's not just outside of the city, he's in the city. Not just in the city, he has at some way, somehow has placed himself as an important person of this community. Some type of influence. We think, some commentators think a judge, and we'll get to that later, but here, here come the angels, and Lot is at the city gate. He sees them, right? At this point, they just look like men. They don't know they're angels, and, and they walk up, and Lot meets them. And, and what you do in that time, I learned this, is that there was this law, right, that was called the law of hospitality. Tality, golly. Um, y'all pray for me today. And that law stated that when visitors came to town, it was whoever met them first, it was their role to house them, to feed them, and to protect them until they left the city. So here comes Lot. He runs up to these angels and he tells them, hey, please stay with me. Come to my house. We'll feed you. We'll have a place for you to sleep. And eventually they, they argue and then eventually the angels say, okay, we're in. We'll, we'll come to your house. Now before we get into this, again, this is a little disclaimer. This is something hard to read and comprehend. And what we're going to see in this very messy story of Sodom and Lot, what we're going to see is God is, yes, he is a righteous judge who has wrath towards sin, but he's also a God of mercy for his people. And so let's, with that in mind, let's read Genesis 19, 4 through 9. It says this, Before they went to bed, the men of the city of Sodom, both young and old, the whole population surrounded the house. Right? So this is literally every man was there. They, they pressed into Lot's house that were, where the angels were in, and they called out to Lot, verse 5, Where are the men who came to you tonight? Send them out to us so that we can have sex with them. Lot went out to them at the entrance and shut the door behind them. He said, don't do this evil, my brothers. Look, I've got two daughters who haven't been intimate with the man. I will bring them out to you and you can do whatever you want to them. However, don't do anything to these men because they have come under my protection of my roof. Verse nine, they said, get out of the way. This one talking about Lot came as an alien and now he's acting like a judge. Now we will do more harm to you than them. They put pressure on Lot and came up to break the door. This is how evil Sodom was. This is how evil the people in Sodom had become. Homosexuality had become so dominant in this city. It was a thing that was pushed from, from the very young to the very old. This was what was pushed. The whole culture celebrated and worshiped the idol of, of sex and pleasure and pervertedness to the point that rape was no longer looked as evil, but it was something accepted. This was the lifestyle that, that was celebrated in Sodom. Sodom was, was this influence and motivated by the concept that whatever it is that you want, go get it, right? Like if you, like you know, like no one else can tell you what's right or wrong. You know what's right or wrong. And if you think it's right and they think, they think it's wrong, forget them. You chase after whatever it is that you want, whatever brings you pleasure. This was the heartbeat of Sodom. And this is what they did to visitors. When you come through town, if you didn't find a place by dark, you better believe that the men of that town, we see this over and over in history, that's what they would do. They would corner you, trap you, and rape you. And, and for Lot, this is what we see him do. He, he sees them at the gate, they're walking up, and he quickly runs and says, hey, you guys come and stay with me. It's that whole law that I was telling you about. It's that law where, where he was trying to protect them. Now listen, that does not justify 
what Lot does next, right? And this is what I, I, I really struggle with with Lot. Because what happens is he comes out of the house. He stands as a gap, as a protection saying, men, guys, brothers, don't do this. What you're doing is evil. It's wicked. Don't do what you're about to do. And in second Peter, it, Peter calls Lot righteous Lot. And that is what I've been struggling with for the past couple of weeks. I, I can't comprehend. And like, I'm not just saying this. Like, I'm, it's really like, there's a few people that I don't like in the Bible, right? I don't like Satan. He's, he's dumb, right? I really don't like Judas, okay? But I'm gonna have a really hard time with Lot because as he's trying to do the right thing, he does it in the stupidest way by taking his daughters and putting them in harm's way. He, he, he's looking at this crowd and, and, and he's trying to do the right thing. He's trying to follow this law and protect these guys, but he offers up his daughters. Listen, that, that just paints how evil this place was. This, this paints that it's Sodom was evil to the core. Even Lot, who was trying to follow that law, protect these angels, did it in the most gruesome way imaginable. And what, and, and, but listen, this is what happens to people. This is what happens to a city that compromises and no longer sees sin as sin, but something acceptable. This is exactly what happens. When, when, when all sin is just being pushed and pushed and it becomes normal, no longer offensive, it leads to all kinds of perversions. Now listen, I'm not going to just nitpick one sin over another, but homosexuality in this culture was the dominant thing. And we have to call sin what it is. Homosexuality, according to the Bible, is sin. It goes against God's design for, for a man to be with a woman in a marriage context. And that gives God glory and honor. Listen, this isn't Donnie Delacruz's opinion. My opinion does not matter. This is a Bible thing. It's God's word. And our culture today, listen, we are very close. We're on the same path towards Sodom, where, where, where we see sin, not just homosexuality, but all kinds of different sins being normalized and being celebrated. Right? You might hear somebody say something along the lines like, why, why does it matter that, that if two men or two women get together and they fall in love and they're good people? Listen, I don't care what other people do. I'm just going to be sure and stand on the fact that the Bible says it's not okay. Like it's not, I can't compromise in my faith. Because what our culture does, it, it wants us to compromise. Right? I mean, if you think about it, when, when we take a stand against the, this the idea of where sin is no longer evil and sinful, when we take a stand for the Bible, what usually happens? A few things usually happen. One, the culture, those who are non-believers, those who are trying to push that sin, they become really aggressive towards Christians. And here's why. I think there's two main reasons why this happens. The first reason is because Christians, we've got it wrong in the past. Where rather than trying to share love, rather than trying to show grace and mercy and explain, hey, this is what the Bible says, we were the aggressive ones condemning people to hell before we ever tried to share the gospel with them. Right? Like we, we have to own that. We didn't do things right. We caused more harm than we did good. Like a street preacher telling a young kid, you're going to hell without giving him the, the, the Bible scripture where God says, but you don't have to. So I think we get, we're aggressively um, opposed because of that. And I think another reason why we get opposed is because as um, non-believers, they don't care about the Bible. 
I mean, it's just simple. Like this is the guide of every Christian's life. But for those who don't believe in God, this is just another book. And so for them, it's, it's this idea of like, you're telling me what I'm doing is wrong. Who, who are you to judge me? And we see that with Lot. We see that as, as he steps out, he was a part of the community to the point where he called them brothers. He's close to them. He is in, like he is compromised so much that he is one of them. But the moment he takes a stand and says, hey, what you guys are trying to do is wicked. Please don't do this. What happened? They said, who are you to judge us? You're just a visitor, Lot. And you know what we do to visitors. Move or you're next. And so we see like this is Sodom who is deeply and just ingrained in evil and wickedness, evil to the core. And that is what led the angels to, at the next moment, they drag him back into the house. And the Bible says that they just strike all the men in the city with blindness, that they are literally outside, cannot see, but they're still trying to find the entrance to the door. They're blind, literally struck blind, and yet they're still pursuing sin. So here's, here's what's gonna happen next. The angels are about to look at Lot and warn them and tell them the plan. Like, hey, this is going to happen. Judgment's coming. Go get your family. So let's look at what happens next. Look at verse 12 and 13. Then the angel said to Lot, do you have anyone else here? A son-in-law, your sons and daughters, or anyone else in the city who belongs to, do, to you? Get them out of this place. For we are about to destroy this place because the outcry against his people is so great before the Lord that the Lord has sent us to destroy it. In other words, the angels, they saw enough. Remember, they came to find 10 righteous people and they couldn't. And so they look at Lot and said, here's what's happening. Judgment is coming. And what we see next is these angels, they warn Lot and his family that it's coming, that God's wrath is about to fall. And so what I want you to notice as people hear this warning, I want you to see how they respond because we have to realize that we are also being warned that one day Jesus is coming back. We're either gonna die or Jesus is gonna come and we're gonna be faced with judgment. So our response to this warning matters. So let's look at the first response. Look at verse 14. So Lot went out and spoke to his sons-in-laws who were going to marry his daughters. Get up, he said, get out of this place for the Lord is about to destroy the city. But his sons-in-laws thought he was what? Joking. Other translations said that they thought he was gesturing, that he was just making something up. I mean, think about this. What did we read about the mob of men, the angry men? That it was men every single man from young to old in the city. The angel said, Lot, go get your son-in-laws. He had to go outside of that door to look through the mob of blind men trying to find their way to those angels to find his son-in-laws, the men that he chose himself to marry his daughters. I mean, again, Lot didn't get it right. This is what compromise looks like. These men were out there doing what the culture did. And Lot warns them in their blindness, guys, we have to leave the city. We have to go. God's his wrath is coming. Judgment is coming. And they look at Lot and they say, you're joking. They reject it. I mean, literally in that moment, blind on the spot, and yet they still can't see 
right? They're, they're physically blind, but even more dangerous, they're spiritually blind to what their sin is and what it's doing to them and what destruction and wrath it's bringing on themselves. And they refuse to hear the warning of God that judgment is coming. Right? And it wasn't just this, um, the, the, the sins of the city. Like, I want you to hear what Ezekiel, God says about Sodom in Ezekiel 16, 49 through 50. God is saying this about Sodom. He says, this was this, the iniquity of your sister Sodom. She and her daughter, so the city, the community had pride. They had plenty of food and comfortable security, but didn't support the poor and needy. They were haughty and did detestable acts before me. So I removed them when I saw this. This is what sin does. It blinds us, spiritually blinds us to our sin. It blinds us with, with this false security of comfort, this false security of that we got what we need, and it lies to us. It makes us believe that what God is offering isn't anything compared to what the world can offer us. And it lies, and it lies, and it blinds us to the point that we no longer see our sin as evil. And everyone's doing it. This is what's celebrated. And all the while, we are blind to our sin. Here's the deal. These two men, these son-in-laws, in their minds, they had everything they needed. They had everything. Why would they need God? Why would they have to flee? Why would they have to leave the city? They had everything they needed, but in reality, they had this false security and false comfort in the pleasures. And they truly just didn't believe that there, believe that there was a divine judgment of God. They just didn't believe that God was real, that heaven or hell was real, and that they were fine. Everything in their life was fine. It was all a joke to them. Listen, there are people like that who, who, who believe that today, where they are so blind to their spiritual need, and they're being blinded by their pride in the stuff that they own. Are you with me, Sam? I'm with you. They're blind. Their response to the warning was to continue in sin and reject the warning and reject the gift of salvation God was offering. So look what happens next, verse 15. It says at daybreak, that would happen that night, the next morning, the angels urged Lot on and said, get up, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, or you will be swept away in the punishment of the city. But he hesitated. Because of the Lord's compassion for him, the men grabbed his hand, his wife's hand, and the hands of his two daughters and brought them out and left them outside of the city. As soon as the angels got them outside, one of them said, run for your lives. Do not look back and do not stop anywhere on the plane. Run to the mountains or you will be swept away. Did y'all see his initial response here? Verse 16 says that he hesitated, that there was this moment in, heart, in Lot's heart that caused him to pause and hesitate. Right? And, and, and what that was, that's exactly what sin does. It makes us go, wait, do I actually believe God? Or do I find my trust and security in things of this world, right? Remember, Lot was the one that chose this place. He was the one that chose it. And he, he, the more close that he got to Sodom, the more his heart began to love Sodom. Matter of fact, 2 Peter says that he loved the city, but he hated like the sin in it, like the culture, it, it tormented him, but he loved Sodom. He loved everything that he was able to possess there. And so what do we know that in this moment, as he's hesitating, that Lot is in the city and the city was in him. The, the position that he found himself in came with security, came with power, came with possessions. 
And what happens next is as he's, he's standing there hesitating, God has compassion for him. Remember, I, like, I struggle with Lot. Like does not deserve this, but God has compassion. And literally the angels drag him out of the city. Drag them out. Him, his wife, his kids drags them out. And tells them, man, run to God. Run to those mountains. What happens next for the sake of time Lot looks at those mountains and he tells the angels, I can't get to the mountains. Like, look, there's a little city right outside of Sodom. There's that little city. It's a little bit closer to Sodom than those mountains are. If I go to the mountains, I'm going to die. But can you please just like, let me go to Zor. It's literally called the small city. And the Lord allows it. Here's what is happening. God's telling him, run, run from Sodom. Run from sin, run from that culture, run to salvation. And what Lot is doing is he's trying to play the middle ground. Right? In the New Testament, God looks at us and he tells us in the New Testament, flee from temptation. That's an aggressive word, flee. It's literally sprint as if something is trying to destroy you. God doesn't say like, hey, just move a couple of steps away from what tempts you. Right? God doesn't say like, hey, just, just move to the next seat. And like, you know, when you treat sin, treat it as like a, the, the pet that you love. You can pet it every now and then, right? But be careful, it might bite you. God doesn't play around with sin. He says, flee from it. He looks at Lot and says, run to the mountains. And Lot goes, well, I'll just go to that city. It's just another form of compromise. It's another form of hesitating. Right, where we know some of the sin that is on our life that we're, that we're lingering down, like we're lingering in some of that sin that God's saying, remove it, let go of it. We're still trying to straddle like, okay, God, I love you and I, I wanna follow you, but I don't wanna let this thing go. And so we hesitate. And here's what I want you to know. There is no halfway in, halfway out with Jesus. It's either you're all in, you abandon everything and you go or you stay put. There is no lingering with salvation. It's either you surrender or you're not. Jesus is your Lord or he's nothing. And so for a lot, he hesitated. God says, run to the mountains and, and he compromises and goes to the city of Zor, which really is just a Sodom 2.0, just a smaller version. And what happens next is, and we'll, wrap, we'll start wrapping up with this, but Genesis 19, look at verse 23 through 26. The sun had risen over the land when Lot reached Zor. Then out of the sky, the Lord rained on Sodom and Gomorrah, burning sulfur from the Lord. He demolished these cities, the entire plain, all the inhabitants of the cities and whatever grew on the ground. Verse 26, but Lot's wife looked back and became a pillar of salt. This is the last response that we see. Lot's wife decides at some point, as they're running to the city, at some point, she decides to stop running towards salvation and turn back towards her sin. And when she did, she literally becomes this pillar of salt. We don't know why or when she stopped, right? But at some point she stopped and she looked and it wasn't just a quick glance. It was long enough to stop and glance and allow the fire and brimstone to catch up with her. She literally watched her life be destroyed because she couldn't let go of her past. Had angels dragging her to salvation and she let it go to look back at her old life. And as I'm struggling with this, okay, well, why? Like, it just doesn't make sense. Well, Jesus uses this moment as an example, as he's talking about the day that one day he will return 
for judgment day. Look at Luke 17. It'll be on the screen. Luke 17, 28 through 36. This is what Jesus says about this moment. It says in verse 28, it will be the same as it was in the days of Lot. People were, went on eating and drinking, buying, selling, planting, and building, right? This life was going on. They, did, they heard the warnings, but they didn't care. But on the day that Lot left Sodom, fire and sulfur rained from heaven and destroyed them all. It will be like that on the day the Son of Man is revealed, on judgment day. On that day, a man on the housetop whose belongings are in the house must not come down to get them. Likewise, the man who is in the field must not turn back. Verse 32, remember Lot's wife. Whoever tries to make his life secure will lose it, and whoever loses his life will preserve it. I tell you, on that night, two will be in one bed. One will be taken, the other will be left. Two women will be grinding grain together. One will be taken, and the other left. Jesus says, remember Lot's wife. Why did she lose her life? She lost it because even while being warned of judgment, even while being led to salvation, she could not let go of the things of this world. She couldn't let them go. She couldn't, she, she looked at her old life, the stuff that they had from, from the power that, that, that Lot was in, the position he was in. She looked at all the stuff that they accumulated, all the things that, that brought her some sense of comfort, some sense of security, some sense of identity. She held on to those things and those things that she believed was, was making her secure and safe and, 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 and powerful over the things that ultimately led her straight to her death. Why? Because there is no life outside of Jesus Christ. Sin always leads to death. God extends to her kindness and grace to escape destruction, but her heart was unwilling to let things go in order to follow God. For her, it was the things that she possessed, stuff that she gathered, accumulated, her, her, her homeland, right? Like that, she couldn't let it go. For others today, it can be all kinds of things. It can be your reputation where Jesus says, man, follow me. And you're wondering, well, if I do, what will my friends, what will my coworkers, what will my family think if I, if I become a Christian? For others, it, it might not be reputation. It might be a relationship where, where you, you have to either end a relationship or fix one in order to follow God. And you're just like, I, I don't know if I can do either one of those. And maybe it's not that. Maybe there's this sin in your life that God is telling you, man, let this thing go. And you're willing to let everything else go but that one thing. And that's the thing that will lead you straight to death. I, I don't know what it is for, for you, but maybe it's like her. It was some sense of comfort. Like, man, if, if I say yes to Jesus, does that mean I have to leave this stuff? And for her, ultimately, that's what caused her to look back. That's what caused her to look back. Jesus says, remember her. Remember Lot's wife and her response to the warning of judgment, her response to the grace I'm extending. Whoever seeks to preserve his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me, Jesus says, will keep it. That whatever you, whatever you lose on earth is worth what you gain in Christ. And what you gain in Christ is life, salvation, hope, love, a new identity, citizenship, a home in heaven, and the blessing to be called a child of God. Now, as, as hard as this story is, it reveals to you us reality, right? 
Like we have to see the reality of, of how evil and wicked sin is and what happens to a people, what happens to a culture and a community that, that chases after and waters down how bad sin is. It's this reality. It shows us the reality of who our God is, that our God is a God of grace and mercy and kindness who extends a free gift of salvation. And at the same exact time, he is a God of wrath towards sin and a righteous judge. It shows us the reality that yes, there will be a judgment day when we all have to stand before God and answer for be held accountable for our life, the good, the bad, the things that we were supposed to do but didn't do. The Bible says we will be held accountable for all of it. And what Jesus is trying to show us is that we are living in a, in a mercy time period where we're, we're not there yet, but he's extending this time, this mercy, this grace for us to respond. He's saying, I'm, I'm, I'm giving you grace to get it right, to run to me, to find your hope, your salvation in me and not things of this world. Judgment day is coming, but Jesus loves you. Listen, the warnings have been going off, right? The signs have been going off. The preachers have been preaching, the gospel's been shared. We, we cannot say that we have not heard the warnings. So your response to those warnings mean everything. Will you respond like the son-in-laws who, who loved their sin so much that they rejected God, rejected mercy, and rejected the, the salvation altogether? Will you respond like Lot's wife who couldn't bear the idea of leaving things behind? leaving sin behind in order to run towards God. Listen, both of those responses lead to destruction. Why? Sin always leads to death. Every single time. Here's the deal. Will you respond like Lot, who hesitated, who lingered, who was considering and wrestling, okay, do I really believe God or, or, or what? And maybe some of you, you haven't said yes to Jesus and you're saying something, maybe not out loud, but in your heart going, one day I will say yes to Jesus. One day when I get older or one day when I, when I get myself together, I will, I will surrender my life to Jesus. And here's the deal for Lot, as undeserving as I think that he is, God gave him grace and time to get it right. He gave him kindness. Remember, Abraham literally was praying, talking to God on the behalf of Lot because he knew my, my nephew is down there. And my nephew is an idiot. And so God, please, like if there's 10 and he's praying for a lot. And, as, and listen, as much as I, and I'm, I'm not just saying this, I wrestle with this. As much as I look at Lot and go, man, what a punk who doesn't deserve this. I have to, again, look at myself and go, I'm not much different. My sin is not different than Lot's. Sin is direct rebellion against who God is. And so there's no nitpicking what sin is worse. All sin leads to death. All sin is rebellion. None of us deserve God's grace. And yet he extends it to us. That shows us even in his wrath and judgment, he is still merciful. He's still merciful. He's giving you time. But family, look at me. We don't know how much time we have. What are we promised? That we were appointed a time to live and to die. 
and then judgment. How will you respond to this? Your response matters. If you're hesitating with Jesus, know this. We're not promised tomorrow. Judgment is real, but God's love is so good. That love that God had, in the Bible says, while we were sinners, Christ died for us to extend to you mercy and salvation. So I'm gonna have Hudson come out. If you're not a believer, if you've, if you've played this game where you're half in, half out with Jesus, my plea to you today is go all in on either side. Either go all in with your sin and be the best sinner out there or go all in for Jesus and pursue him with your life. You can't play both. You can't. So I'm pleading, like, stop playing a game with your soul. Stop playing church and come to Jesus and surrender to him as Lord, as God of your life. He's extending to you the chance to get it right. If you are a believer in the room, I have two challenges from you. One is to learn from Lot. Learn from him. J.D. Greer, pastor, said this. He said, living for Jesus in this world will always feel like an uphill battle because you are going against the current and everything in the world is pulling you in the other direction. If you're, if you're not actively fighting sin, then you are currently drifting the wrong way, just like Lot did in Sodom. So if you're a believer in the room, Learn from law. Is there an area in your life where you're, you're compromising, compromising sin or compromising the standard that God has placed on us, which is his son, Jesus? If there's an area in your life where you're compromising or maybe there's some sin that you're lingering in and God's trying to tell you, let that sin go. My plea to you is learn from Lot. One little compromise here and there ruins everything. So if, if you're a believer, learn from Lot, come and repent. Stop lingering in sin, run to Jesus. Come recenter, refocus, rededicate your life. If, if God's calling you to be baptized, and you're like, oh, one day I'll do it, man, just do it. All right, shout out to Victory and, 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 and girl and the youth and another student in next ministry, uh, in the next service who, who, have, who are not lingering. They said, I'm in, I'm saved. I need to get baptized, let's go. Don't linger. Learn from Lot and then also learn from Abraham. Listen to it. Every single one of us has a lot in our life. That person that just makes us really angry, who just doesn't get things right. We know is lost. Pray for him. Pray for that friend. Pray for the person in your life that you know doesn't know Jesus. Pray that God would save them. God would soften their heart, remove the blindness from their sin, and that they would accept Jesus and also pray that God would use you to do it. We've been doing that on Wednesday nights in our prayer service, man, it's been amazing to see people getting saved. So learn from Lot, learn from Abraham. Don't hesitate, don't linger. Thank you for listening to the preaching and teaching ministry of Second Baptist. We hope that we will see you in person this next Sunday. To find more information about service times, location, and ministry offerings, visit mysecond.family. Thank you for listening.